Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Season 8, Incidental Episode. Valiant Comics, Heather Antos. there welcome along to talking con a cup of tea with an englishman in san diego big cup of tea uh because my word um it's one of those incidental episodes where we do a, a bit of a chat uh, outside of our usual programming usually we have these on a sunday or a wednesday wednesday certainly while we're in lockdown too and uh, we're trying to do something to kind of mark the passage of time while we're all stuck inside but Certainly, when we get the chance uh, to speak to somebody and they can't join us on a Sunday or a, a Wednesday, and whenever we can kind of uh, accommodate to their schedule, that's what we do with these is incidental episodes, these one shots uh, of uh, special shows. We're just going to dive straight into it. Uh, we're talking to somebody who it's been a while since we've had her on the show, uh, so I'm really glad to have her back. Uh, it's Heather Antos is joining us. Hello there, Heather. How the devil are you? Great. Yeah, I was. Good. I was trying to remember when's the last time we saw each other. I'm trying to work out the time, but I do know it was just as you started at Valiant. I think so, yeah. I think, I think you were in the job about a month, something like that. You were just getting nicely settled. Yeah, I mean, time means nothing this year, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, I mean, we, let's put it this way. I mean, we're going to talk about the, the time between when you were uh, promoted to senior editor. And I was typing it up and I was thinking, okay, you were promoted to the position back in March, which was seven, eight decades ago. Mm -hmm. uh, that's how it's felt. I mean, time has just been so fluid. It's just been in insane. But it's, it's great to have you back. And uh, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've got loads of stuff to talk about when it comes to uh, Valiant titles, but it, we want to kind of put the spotlight also on you as well and uh, find out what you've been up to over the course of the summer. Um, as always, everybody, the Q&A chat is open on, certainly on YouTube. It's open on uh, uh, Facebook as well. Uh, if you do have any questions for Heather, do dive in. Um, of course, we'll uh, get in as many as we possibly can. Um, first things first, I do have to ask, um, is is it Charlie? Is your uh, golden retriever mix to hand? Uh, she's She is off in her... Uh... <laughs> in her room right now, going <laughs> away. She, uh, it's it's raining here today. Oh, right. And so she hasn't been able to be outside and get walks, so she's very, very rambunctious. So I put her I put her in her kennel uh, during this, so <laughs> not, like running around. And she, she likes to, to the detriment of anyone trying to do any reading or work, uh, she likes to take her bones <laughs> and throw them. Um, and I have hardwood floors, and so, like luckily my my neighbors live upstairs and not downstairs luckily i'm on the bottom floor but she just she takes her bones and she just throws them and then chases them and then throws them and then chases them so it's fair enough adorable but <laughs> <laughs> the, the interviews that i've been seeing you do and so like the valiant uh, updates that i've seen you do online charlie has always seemed to be an ever 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 present uh, so it's great because I know that um, uh, that was so, uh, she was someone that you kind of took into the house literally as lockdown happened. Literally, yeah. No, it's it's so funny. Um, I had been trying to adopt a dog uh, for about a year now, and you know, um, I really wanted to rescue. Um, it was really important to me, and unfortunately, you know, I rent. I don't own my own home, and so a lot of rescues have issues with that. Um, yeah. 
working in the city full time. Like there's, you know, some, some places, you know, depending on the dog, they, they need to be home. And also just in order to be home to train a puppy, you know, like that wasn't really in the cards for me at the time pre pandemic. And so I was looking for, you know, a dog that was at least housebroken. And, um, so it was really, really hard. And I was having a lot of trouble. And then like, kind of when, uh, things started looking rather serious with the pandemic, um, I was just like, you know what, maybe, maybe I can look into getting a puppy. Like maybe, you know, if we're all going to be home, maybe this is the thing <laughs> that I do. And it's so funny. Cause I was staying at my boyfriend's, like, uh, it was, it was a Friday night and it was this rescue that I w had already been approved for. I went on their website. I looked and saw, um, and, and there she was a cute, you know, adorable little, little thing. I shot him an email within half an hour they emailed me back um they're just like she'll be at our event tomorrow uh someone else is interested in her too what time will you be there and i was like what time are you open First thing. <laughs> right. uh, and they're like 10 a.m and then we looked up the address and it was literally six blocks away so like it was just like kismet all worked out um we got there she was just the most adorable little thing and um yeah and so she she's literally been with me every single day of the pandemic since lockdown wow uh, and considering that um i mean to safe to say i mean i've seen the map of uh outbreaks um i think i saw one uh, yesterday or earlier on today and it's all very much midwest it's in the the, the center of the country but new york uh, where you're based it, it got hit particularly hard um at the certainly the start of the whole um uh, the, the whole pandemic um I, I can only assume what um you went through over the course of i mean because like i say it was from that that first initial strike and new york was at the vanguard of it all um so you were there pretty much from the start i mean how has your summer been in terms of being locked in being able to go out what's what's been your uh, pandemic like yeah i mean you know for me personally working from home is a dream um i'm <laughs> i'm such an introvert um you know and i i very much need like quiet and focus in order to do to do work so like you know the commuting life Obviously, for anyone is stressful in Manhattan, it's super stressful. Um, it's expensive to commute. Um, and so, you know, uh, not having to pay to commute is great. Uh, you know, being able to walk 15 feet to my desk is fantastic. Um, being home with a puppy all day long is most days fantastic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> most days. Um, but no, so, so in that regard, like, I didn't have trouble with, you know, that adjustment. I think honestly, the biggest adjustment for me, and I think for most of us in, in this community has not been having conventions. Like I didn't realize how much of my social life well, um, yeah. is conventions. And like, that's where I see my friends and my family and I hang out. And, and, you know, last year I had my busiest travel year ever. I did like 15 shows and to go from that to, to nothing. And like this year, you know, I was, I was supposed to do Sweden and I was supposed to do Australia and I was supposed to do South Africa and I was so stoked. And, 
you know, so like that was a bummer. Um, but luckily I'm very, very fortunate that again, the New York, New Jersey area where I live because we acted so quickly, um, in regards to lockdown and, and everyone around here has been, you know, for the most part behaving appropriately in regards to distancing and masks and stuff like up until recently when things started to pick up again, um, like, like we were able to like feel relatively normal. Like, you know, we would have outdoor social gatherings with friends that we knew were, were sane and, um, you know, things like that. Um, but I, I'm very lucky in the fact that like, I don't need social interaction. In fact, I run away from it. So <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I mean, the way I've been starting the shows, um, certainly for the, this particular run of shows, because I, I decided I was going to do that funky new intro. I was going to do uh, change some brands. Thank you. Uh, change some brand. Oh, I've had one or two people sort of like coming in and the, the credits or the, the titles are finished. And one or two people who's just coming on going, I miss conventions so much. <laughs> Filling up a bit. Um, but I've been starting off with a couple of questions. Um, so we might as well, uh, we'll, we'll do those real quick. Uh, number one is, um, yeah, I've, it's a cup of tea with Englishman in San Diego. I've got my tea. What beverage have you got to hand? I have uh, sparkling water. It's, um, what, it's peach. Peach sparkling water. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, number two, can you remember your first comic convention that you went to? Did you go as a pro? Did you go as a fan? Can you remember the first one, the first proper comic convention yeah. that you went to? Um, so I have never gone to a comic convention as just a fan. Every single one I've ever gone to is as a pro because for me, I grew up in a very rural area where like, you know, comic conventions really weren't a thing or like I just I couldn't I didn't have the money to to go travel to them and um the first show I ever went to was C2E2 um it's a good start 14 I think was the first one I ever went to and I had been covering I'd been writing uh comic reviews and interviews and and general pop culture news stuff for a couple different sites at the time so I had press passes and so my whole first year comic conventions was all press passes and I didn't go to one until I was 23 years old um so yeah that was yeah pretty that's not that's pretty good very very lucky in the fact that like I have always been able to have a pro pass or a press pass and like cut lines and like so like i've never had the true fan comic con experience um which i'm kind of grateful for because again <laughs> you're not, no you're not missing too much don't right. worry about yeah it. <laughs> yeah i don't have to deal with the lines and uh i can like sneak in the like back passage entrances and, and hide and um that's my dream so <laughs> Fair enough. And number three, uh, the question I've been asking is, uh, obviously, when you go to conventions, you do get the chance to meet some idols, some people that you've admired, the work that you've uh, uh, collected or perhaps read over the years. Uh, and every once in a while, you will come face to face with someone and the brain will take a leap five foot to the left. And you're left a little bit weak at the knees, a little bit mealy mouth. Has there been anyone that uh, that you can call on? Uh, as an example of where you've just gone, ah, uh, uh, and just kind of lost lost the plot a bit. Oh my gosh! Well, hopefully they'll never see this. Um, but 
again, it's C2E2 2014. Um, I, so to preface, I'm a huge, 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 massive fan of the band Coed and Cambria. Uh, I've been following them since I was 13 years old. Um, you know, I've gone to like 20 something on shows, like huge, huge, huge fan. And that year, uh, Claudio Sanchez, he also writes, uh, writes comics, huge comics fan. Um, even did music for one of the Arkham games for Batman because like he just, he loves comics and, um, he had a new book coming out that year and somehow through the glories of social media, I was able to like his, his like manager or something. Like I was able to get an interview with him and his wife about their book that was coming out. Um, and I'm not someone, I don't really get starstruck very easily. Like there, there are two times in my life where three times, there are three times in my life where I've ever, ever been like super starstruck. One was when I was 13 and I met uh, Ruth Riley, who was the center of Notre Dame women's basketball, you know, champion at the time. And I was a huge, huge fan and I got to meet her and I cried. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, second time uh, was, uh, when Wayne Brady uh, was visiting the Marvel offices. And again, I grew up watching Who's Line and Wayne Brady and he was just like the sweetest, kindest, nicest person. And like, I I didn't know he was coming. Like all of a sudden, like he just walks into my office um, and I was, just, oh my God, you're Wayne Brady. Like um, he was really sweet and I cried. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm detecting a theme here. <laughs> I just get overcome with emotion. Um, the, the other time was um, was was when I met Claudio when um, when I had to interview him and his wife. And I remember, like, you know, I had just gotten done interviewing like Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, right? You know, and and uh, Jimmy and Amanda, and you know, like all of these like huge, huge people in the industry. And like, whatever, that's fine, no big deal. And I remember, like shaking heading into that <laughs> interview um and just so nervous and stumbling over my words and you know like you you know and anyone who knows me i don't really get nervous i'm pretty chill i'm pretty you know calm and like i was just oh my god i don't know how to do this i don't i want you to like me i don't want to come off stupid you know um and it went fine um and since then you know it's one of those like had I only known, right? Um, like I've become friends with them. You know, they live in Brooklyn. We've gotten lunch. We've gotten dinner. Like I've gone to baseball games. Like, you know, so it's like it's just like really, I'm very lucky, but it's also like really weird. And that like that was someone that I like was so freaked out to meet that like you know like oh yeah it's Claudio. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent, great story. Thank you for that. Um, we kind of skipped the intro mostly because I think most people who are watching this will know who you are. Um, but if we kind of just go a little bit with um, the kind of a uh, pocket history, uh, because uh, I mean, I kind of came into your work via when you were, because uh, I'm a Star Wars fan and I came, I kind of got really back into collecting comics again by the Marvel Star Wars titles. And uh, that's why I started seeing your name as um, uh, one of the editing team for the Star Wars titles. Uh, so that's where I kind of came into your uh, career. But um, I saw an interview where you proclaimed that the 2011 
Green Lantern film was what got you into superhero comics. Uh, to start with, tell me one good thing about Green Lantern, apart from a topless Ryan Reynolds. Uh, oh, about the movie. <laughs> yeah. One good thing about it. Um, it's what got me reading superhero comics. That's one good thing about it. Like, Fair enough. Fair it's, enough. No, it, it's, so, <laughs> it's so funny because, um, like, a lot of people, when they ask, you know, what got you into into superhero comics um because up until then i'd been reading mostly vertigo you know stuff that, that was that yeah that was going to be the next the, the question then so what were you reading before then? Yeah, was, it indie, yeah. was it graphic novels what was it yeah it was mostly vertigo i mean uh sandman is what got me into comics that was the first like true comic series that i read and i moved to you know transmetropolitan and why the last man and you know hellblazer back when that wasn't a superhero comic you know um and um so so it wasn't you know like most people i i kind of felt intimidated um by just like the longevity um and i didn't know where to start and um i kind of had a very um uneducated per, uh, perspective on what superhero comics were right I, I kind of had that like stereotypical um it's cheesy and and it's just not for me um and but the the green lantern movie was coming out and it was right around the time that like new 52 was happening and um my partner at the time had decided he's gonna you know read all the new 52 stuff and he picked all of those up and um you know we were we were in a shop and i think they had like one of those signs that you know had like secret origins and emerald dawn that's what those were the two books that um, the movie was based on. So I was like, screw it. I'll pick them up. I'll read it. Um, I read them both. I loved them both. Um, and so I like then gave a huge deep dive into like, you know, Jeff Johns's entire Green Lantern run at the time. And I will never forget going to the theater and like being so excited to see this movie and literally open sequence. The first, the very first opening scene, I turned, I turned to my boyfriend, like, that's not how it should be. It should be like this. They're doing it wrong. <laughs> From the opening scene, I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> and, um, and so uh, so I was a true comic book fan, obviously, right at that moment, um, because I knew better. And, <laughs> and yeah, from there, um, I just I started dabbling in, in superhero dumb. Fair enough. Um, and I, I I find it. I mean, because yeah, it's it's very, it's a very similar story to another Vertigo editor story. Um, they that coming into uh, comics, not from the traditional kind of reading material. You came in, like say through the, the Vertigo uh, kind of the style, and I, I I find it interesting the evolution of your um, comics. Then considering that then you are now as a senior editor of Valiant, which is. Um, predominantly uh, superhero and very um, steeped in its uh, mythos and it's very it's interesting the way that Valiant deals with mythos as well um, I, the, the whole uh, if uh, somebody dies in canon they don't come back it's uh, it's a very it's a, a unique way for um, superhero stories to be told and that's what I think a lot of people find but uh, appealing about uh, Valiant uh, but when it comes to the editor role, then, um, because uh, I think when you, I mean, when you were promoted to the role of senior editor, obviously those 
like those <laughs> decades ago. Uh, no doubt you, you had plenty of plans uh, in mind for what you wanted to achieve in the role, but how were those plans kind of derailed um, in, the, in the shadow of COVID? Oh my gosh, you know, it's so funny uh, getting promoted to a creative, you know, director role kind of that, that being a senior editor is right at the beginning of a pandemic. Uh, you know, at the beginning, everyone asked me is, you know, what's the difference? What's it like? And I was like, I don't know. There's a pandemic happening. We stopped publishing. <laughs> you know? Like, I'll let you know. <laughs> um, but uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, like every other publisher, we had big plans for 2020. Um, all of those had to change. You know, we right now are, reannouncing books that were originally supposed to come out this year for next year. And so, yeah, we had to completely, um, you know, flip the table on our publishing plan and, and start from scratch and, 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 um, which is frustrating on one hand, right? It's super, super frustrating because you had all of these plans with creators and you were super excited and passionate about them. And of course there's a lot of disappointment. Um, all around um and you know you have to navigate that both on a professional level with your relationship with your creators and retailers and and fans right um you know no one's thrilled about any of this i'm i'm not happy that shadow man didn't come out this year you know like <laughs> i'm not thrilled about it either um but um, and then you also have to navigate that from a creative and business perspective of what is the best for the publisher, right? Um, what, what's the best for the publisher and the industry as a whole? Because, w you know, if, if every single publisher started publishing the same amount of books and the same frequency that we did pre-pandemic all at the same time, like, retailers wouldn't be able to handle that. Diamond wouldn't be able to handle that. Fans wouldn't be able to handle that. Like, you know, it, it would, it would um, clog the system almost. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of um, decisions that need to be really well thought out in that regard, but also the same for the characters in the universe itself. You know, what, what are the characters that are most important to get back on the table right away. What stories do we need to, to focus on? What things were we going to focus on that aren't as important right now? You know, there's, there's a lot of big decisions that quite frankly, don't all agree with one another across, you know, across the weird spider web of, of decisions that need to be made. And um, we're not going to get them right every single time. And we're not going to know, you know, um, and, and, until it's out there if we should have done things differently so it's 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 definitely made the last several months um very interesting to say the least uh every day is very very different and and i mean that in some regards of like you know we may have settled on a publishing plan and been like yes that's it that's the one and then tomorrow haha <laughs> just kidding it's all ripped to shreds um, yeah it's de it's definitely changing it's shifting sands on a weekly basis daily basis it's yeah, it, yeah. It, it, yeah i mean we've talked to enough creators over the pandemic summer uh, and talked about how things have changed uh, in for that aspect of the industry you know with creators trying to find ways to connect with an audience which is i mean we've seen I saw the article, was it yesterday, about Kickstarter having record um, yeah. movement when it comes to uh, 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 comic, uh, the comics uh, aspect of Kickstarter. But how has it been 
like at the more administrative level of comics? I mean, what pressures have been added on top of what you would normally be dealing with? Um, you know, obviously now that I'm a high and in a higher role, I deal a lot more with the boring but very important number stuff. Um, you know, and it it sucks because on, on the side of like, you know, obviously we got into this because we love stories and we love being creative and like that's what we want to focus on and and that in our minds and, and in my mind sh should be the most important thing, right? It yeah. should be. Um, we live in a capitalistic society and, and creative and story is not the most important thing, um, especially higher up the ladder, you go. it just isn't. Um, and so, you know, I view my job and it's quite frankly, the most stressful part of my job um, is to protect the, the creators and those characters um, as much as I can and fight for them as much as I can in regards to those numbers. Um, and so, where, where, where's, I mean, when you say that, when you, you, you're having to fight for your creators, where's that pressure coming from? I mean, myself, I, you know, a lot, a lot of it is coming just from me, you know, if, could, could I wake up and be like, ah, eh, fuck it. I don't care if they get paid. I don't care if, you know, the story they've been working on for three years happens, whatever. It's no, I still have a job. Like that would make me a really shitty person. <laughs> You know, um, and like, I, I don't know. It's my, it's my editorial philosophy. Like, you know, do, do my creators technically, are they employed by the company? Yes, but they're not, you know, staff, but like, we're all in the trenches together. You know, sure. like my blood and sweat and tears is in these books just as much as theirs are. And quite frankly, they have more at stake. Um, and like, I am their voice inside the yeah. company. I am I am there to fight for them. They can't fight for themselves. So I have to fight as hard as I can for them. That's on me. Um and you know, um whether or not that gets me in trouble sometimes, whatever. Like that's, <laughs> but but like I try and be as as straightforward and honest with my creators as I am with with my publisher. Um of just like this is the situation. And um, and I, and I always remind my publishers, you know, what, whatever publisher it is I'm working for is, all right, if you want to make this shitty st decision, you can, um, but just understand that they all talk, you know, um, and they all talk with each other and them talking with each other will affect our future, whether you want to admit that or not. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's, I think publishers, um, especially IP publishers that have, you know, these, these franchises like to think, well, anyone will be grateful to work for us. You know, anyone would kill to work for us. They all need paychecks. They're all starving. They all need paychecks. And they'll be, they'll take whatever they can get. And it's like, that's a really shitty perspective <laughs> to have because then you treat the creators, the people that quite frankly, you know, are the spine of, of, you know, what you do, if you didn't have the creators, you would have no franchises, you would have no IP, you would have nothing. Um, and, and so in my opinion, it's, it is editors jobs and especially the higher up you go to fight for those creators, um, just as hard as you fight for the characters.
What would you say is the biggest misconception, and not just for your current role as senior editor, but also when you were um, an editor um, across several books, what would you say is the biggest mis misconception for comics fans who have enough um, opinions about what people's jobs roles are as it is? Um, what do you think is the biggest misconception they have about what an editor does in comics? Oh, I, I, not hundred percent. Everyone thinks an editor is just a proofreader. That's you know, like it's it's so it's so funny because it's it's kind of like, um, you know, it's 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 like when I was an assistant editor. Uh, you know, it's it's oh, either I have all the power in the world and I'm making all of these huge decisions to to hire and fire people as an assistant editor, or my job is to just get coffee, right? Like that's that's what I heard you know, all the time. And it, it depends on the argument that they want to have and the perspective and, and how evil yeah. editors are, right? And, and, and you know, Tom Brevoort had um, the saying that he told all assistant editors at Marvel is, you know, um, when things go right, you'll never get credit. And when things go wrong, you get all the blame. Um, and that's true. Um, and quite frankly, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I know um, my contributions, my creators know the contributions, you know, um, and every, and the internet's going to internet. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think, you know, the majority of people out there have this misconception that editors are just proofreaders and fun fact, proof, proofreading and, and the bigger publisher you get is its own department. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we've got a question from Solicitorus Meg, and to be fair, this is in two parts because he wasn't too sure how it was read, and I actually turned around and said I may rephrase it. So we'll we'll see how he goes. Uh, we'll see. One part questions. We'll see how he goes. He said, um, "When you said America has the worst fans, uh, were you a bit afraid? Since we're also a country of untreated medical mental patients, <laughs> we're also just counting nerd fans because uh, common soccer fans." I think basically what he's talking about, and he, he clarifies in his second, uh, did it come off as a threat? Because I thought afterwards rereading it, uh, but I obviously uh, didn't mean no, it. I know, no, no, no. I know exactly what he's asking. Yeah, um, and it was. It's so someone asked on Twitter and I got a ton of shit for it. And quite frankly, whatever, because it's Twitter. Um, <laughs> someone asked what has the most fans uh, or what has the worst fans? And I said America and a lot of people who, uh, fun facts, uh, people on the internet, when you read something, it's not about you. Um, but, but everyone likes to internalize everything to be about them, right? Yeah. Um, but they're like, America has the worst fan. I'm a fan of things and I'm American. Therefore, I'm terrible. Fuck you, right? Like that's how a lot of people, and and um, not to get political, but uh, for me, it was like, oh, no, 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 no. It's people who are fans of America, right? Like the, the diehard, almost like, you, you shouldn't be fans of country. Um, and, I, I don't want to use the word cultish. But I think I know what you mean. No, no, but that's exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's the it's the like, oh, do or die America, ma, ma freedoms, like that, you know, that whole where I put an American flag on my underwear, my toothbrush, my, you know, spray paint. Like that's what I was referring to. People who are like, you know, diehard fans of a land, yeah. <laughs> essentially. 
Um, so that's what it was. And, you know. Oh, believe me, we've got that right here in the UK as well. No, <laughs> that, um, exactly. that, that, that jumped up jingoistic um, chest beating. Yeah. Uh, I think is the, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, know, I, I know exactly what you mean. Xenophobia. That's what. That's what yeah. I was trying. To, that's the word I was. The, I was. I was talking about xenophobia. I was making a joke of it. Um, but again, because you know, everyone's a sensitive nerd about something. Um, it got internalized, and you know, like it's shit, yeah. shit ain't about you. <laughs> yeah. And if it I is, mean, and if it is about you, and you're getting upset maybe do some self-reflection <laughs> sure uh, i mean yeah i mean you've had your own experience with toxic fandom which is well documented i don't want to get into that here and i know it's it's difficult but i can imagine it's also a very difficult position to be in being a senior editor when you have to be the flag bearer of projects you have to be you have to put yourself out there and put yourself your head above the parapet um how protective have you become when it comes to putting yourself out online because the way it seemed to me is that when um, uh, the, 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 the stuff I'm referring to, skirting around, is uh, when it happened, there was a lot of people that also came to your defense and they kind of created also a little bit of a bubble around you. But was it also more a case of you being more personally guarded in what you say or do online? Um, you know, I think... I think for anyone who follows me knows I'm not particularly guarded about what I say online. I'm, I'm very outspoken um, to my detriment or not. Um, but what, uh, I, you know, one of, one of the best lessons I got out of essentially the target that was put on my back was, um, you know, I definitely grew a lot thicker skin. Um, it, you know, um, it's very easy, again, as we just said before, to internalize anything that everyone says about, you know, and take it as about yourself. Um, and for anyone, you know, that's a habit to break. It's, it's, it's really hard and it takes a lot of work and it's not easy. You know, there's still days where like people says, you know, say shitty things and, um, you know, I just have to walk away. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, especially because of that particular incident that I know you're referencing where it wasn't just me, um, but it was my friends, you know, that I saw were getting attacked and anyone who came to my defense, um, was getting attacked. And then people would dig up personal information about me, um, to, to attack, you know, family friend members that have nothing to do with the comics industry. Um, you know, I definitely did try and find um, some boundaries between personal and professional. And, and that is, you know, I have my personal account, um, which, you know, this is only people who like, I know in real life. Um, and um, in, if I use it at all, and then like, obviously my Twitter is very, my professional public, um accounts where i'm me um but i don't i'm very very mindful of posting photos with other people in it tagging other sure. people in it um you know my uh when when i would be you know in a relationship i wouldn't 
connect them to my public accounts in any way, shape or form. Or if I was in any way, I would, a, a huge thing for me is asking consent now, even, even in my public profiles, because, um, any, anytime I tag someone, it's opening a door to them being attacked for something that I did, which is unfair. Um, sure. and, but I can't control what other people do, but I can at least ask consent if I'm going to potentially open floodgates. Right. And so, that- but, but even even so, I mean, I, I I thought it was while it also saw the rise of um, a real toxic element of fandom, which has now solidified into its own kind of platform. There was also this real kind of circling of the wagons and a coming together of the industry on your side, um, uh, taking on some of that. Um, uh, some of those attacks and also and kind of forming an offensive and really kind of so like <laughs> putting up the barricades and yeah. making a st- and making a stand and I, I I it was for myself it was really it was motivating to see because there was this sense of absolute camaraderie um, which I, I saw which I thought was inspiring quite frankly. No, absolutely. And, you know, um, it was overwhelming. Like, you know, at the time it was just, I, it was, it was traumatic. Like it truly was on both fronts. I didn't know what to make of any of it. I was confused, you know, um, I'm still confused about. (laughs) I can imagine. Um, you know, like it's truly wrong time, wrong place. Really. That's what it comes down to, you know, like, um, it could have happened to anyone um to become this this target and and uh but yeah like i a a big thing for me in in all of this um toxic fandom like i never wanted to um i never wanted it to be about me you know and and um that's i i think we had this conversation a couple years ago the first time we were on like i don't i don't want this conversation to ever be about me and my experiences, I want it to be about. Sorry, that, which which is where we are actually doing a spotlight. Okay, <laughs> this is how I'm steering the ship. Uh, <laughs> like I want it to be about toxic fandom and the problems out there, and and how to combat it, and how you know basically you know to to survive it too. Um, you know when it was happening, when I was in the throes of it four years ago, and and let's be frank, you know, for anyone listening. Um, that toxic you know it wasn't oh i was a target four years ago and now everything's fine like it's not i'm you know um i just i'm i know how to combat it a lot better um and uh and that comes with blocking over you know tens of thousands of of accounts on twitter quite frankly which shouldn't be the case but here we are um but uh when I was in the biggest throes of it, my biggest fears was that's it. My career is over. Um, you know, no one's going to want to hire me. Um, I'm never going to get promoted. I'm never going to work ever again. Um, people are just going to see me as a PR problem. Um, which to be frank, some people did. And, and that became very real and very, very scary. And, um, for anyone who has ever, a target of toxic fandom or cyber harassment or anything like this um, on whatever scale. Um, it's, 
I, I want to at least my experience to show that like it's not going to affect your career, especially as more and more companies become uh, educated in and that these cultures are out there. Um, and and like it's you know, you can it, it sucks, but you can survive it, you know, like it is a thing where like you can't you literally can't just turn Twitter off. <laughs> it doesn't follow you anymore. Um, so you know, um, yes, there are bad things and mental health and, and, and all of that that needs to be discussed and, and combated, but, um, it's, it, 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 it isn't as detrimental, I think, as it used to be the more educated that companies and other people become, um, you know, we see it for what it is now, um, especially in the last four years of a particular administration, um where you know it's 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 a lot easier to to move forward and survive and um you know still have a really great career which i'm very lucky um and fortunate to have yeah i did quite like the tweet i i saw it this morning i can't remember who tweeted it but basically um it, they put a screenshot shot on and it was a whole bunch of responses um underneath muted tweets and the the, the tweet was quite simply you can just mute him you know Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you, that's yeah you, you kind of go yep yeah, you can just shut that down we'll we'll kind of we'll we'll wrap the, that this part <laughs> of the conversation up uh, but i will say that one of the definitely one of the most positive aspects of the situation and you being online is seeing people like yourself um and such as girl simone such as uh, amanda diver using platforms to raise conversation um, in the wake of all of this and promote creatives using hashtags such as Signal Boost Sunday, which is one of, for me, one of the most cool things I've seen on Twitter. It's just uh, amazing. How did that start and where are you with it at the moment? Because I, I know that it kind of got overwhelming for, for a bit there. Yeah, so uh, Signal Boost Sunday came about um... Uh, kind of in a way is my response to um hello daniel um uh, <laughs> it's kind of my in that, in that case i'll put that one up as well there you go, big <laughs> fan. um thank you um it kind of came up almost in response to a lot of that toxic um fandom out there you know i i just you know both from my own experiences but friends experiences i just kept seeing these social platforms become such a toxic negative um mind joy sucking you know place um and like that's not what they should be you know like like i would not have my career if it weren't for social media i wouldn't have my career if it weren't for twitter and other people like seeing my tweets and giving me a chance um and being a part of the conversation and i at that point you know i had around i don't know like 10,000 followers and i was starting to build you know um a little bit of a following on social media and like i wanted to what what can i do you know what's the what's the bare minimum that i can do to help support you know someone who was just in my steps a few years ago I can retweet them, you know, like that's, it's the easiest, it's a click, literally, it is just a click. Um, and I can boost them and maybe someone will see it. Right. Um, and so I wanted to create this 
community, this event, this experience where it was all about paying it forward. And my, my rules are very simple. You know, if I'm going to pay it forward for you, you at least have to pay it forward for someone else. You know, I want to build this habit that, you know, comics is not a competition. It's a conversation. It's a community. Um, and you know, and, and with creator owned comics bigger than they've ever been before, you know, no one's taking a job from you. Um, if you're creating your own comics and so, you know, let's, let's build each other up. Let's support each other. Let's build the sense of community, um, that these platforms can and should be. Um, and so that's kind of where it came from. And I used to do it every single Sunday. Um, and I would do it from 9am to 5pm. Um, which that's a day of it, man. It's a day of it. It's a, it's a lot. It is, it is a lot. And I did it every single Sunday for the longest time. And it just is so draining. Um, so, so, so draining. And so what I've tried to do and I, and I, and after a while it, it kind of tap, tapered off. Um, but what in 2020, I started doing it again. Um, where I try and do it the first Sunday of every single month. Um, and I'm not perfect. I do miss some every once in a while, but, uh, but yeah, the first Sunday of every single month, I try and do a signal boost Sunday, um, from 9am to 5pm. And, um, you know, I think the greatest thing that I see is, is I see people like having these conversations and, and discovering each other's work, um, and like forging relationships and you know buying commissions and buying art and oh i want to work with this person now and like i get dms from people and like thank you so much i've you know like i now have a project that came together because of this wow. like that's that's what it's for you know like that's what it is about it's about connecting each other and you know again for anyone listening who um is a creator like this isn't just for comics like if you have a podcast or your music or you know whatever it's 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 for creative people in general i've had i i've had this one i've had this show blasted yeah. out, um by signal boost i i'm more than grateful um for yeah, and, uh, the, the friends and, and yeah like it's it's just my like trying trying to remind people that like you know we should be community building um and building each other up and that's what you know that's why we create in the first place we don't create to bring other people down absolutely um tell you what uh we'll wrap things up on this particular part of the conversation with just the one question what uh, when was the last time you had a milkshake and what was the flavor oh god um <laughs> right before the pandemic hit i had two friends actually from birmingham from england uh in town um and careful they... all they all they know about milkshakes is mcdonald's man no Just no i know be careful. No. So, so they so they they were in town and um we we're hanging out with them and and one of my buddies was like you know it was his first time ever in america and he was told you know he has to have a good burger and a milkshake. Like that's like the most American, you know, whatever meal. Um, he's like, do you know a spot? And I was like, well, I don't know. I've never had a burger there, but I can find you a good milkshake. And it's a place called Black Tap. Um, and there- I think Alex Pagnadel's told me about that. 
Yes. Uh, and, and if you follow me on social media, you've, you've seen my posts of them. You can go on my Instagram and they have these elaborate, crazy milkshakes. Um, like one I had has uh, like literally a piece of cake on top of it. Or um, they'll have like a, a Choco Taco. Do you know what a Choco Taco is? I um, think I have an idea, yeah. It's 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 a waffle cone taco shell with ice cream and like fudge on top, uh, like they're th these massive, huge, huge, huge things where it's like you know I I told my buddy I was like I just get the milkshake because it's like a full, it's an event. <laughs> like you don't you don't get a milkshake and a meal and like whatever, but he did and he God bless him he did it I don't whatever um but but so i was like this is the most like extravagant ridiculous milkshake so that's what i had and i had i don't remember their like weird artsy name for it but it was like a cinnamon sugar flavored milkshake with like churros in it and um it was it was amazing it was so good that's that's elaborate wow yeah <laughs> uh, Dan Berry saying Black Tap, uh, Black Tap has awesome milkshakes. The Downtown Disney one, um, I believe, is what he's referring to. Oh, um, I've, never, I've never been to one in Downtown Disney. No, they have a couple in New York, and they're just look at Google them. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google Black Tap milkshakes. Uh, there are like your teeth will hurt looking at them. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got Aaron Neighbors Signal Boost Sunday's awesome milkshake Monday. Um, yeah, if we all just share milkshakes, there we go. Right? I'll never forget, I did a signing once and a couple fans brought me milkshakes and it was just like <laughs> the weirdest but coolest. It must, be, it must be so strange that that's the thing that is attached to your name now. It, it's, it's so it's odd. It's only strange to me because I didn't have one in the picture. That's I that. know, but that's I the thing. That's the thing for me is is like I didn't I didn't even have one and that's why you know I posted that picture on a Friday and then the Monday I was like well here's my selfie with a milkshake if I'm gonna get shit for this I'm gonna fuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough that's that's my brand <laughs> <laughs> fair enough right let's go back to March um, I'm really curious what the mood around the Valiant office was when Bloodshot moved to streaming, seeing that it had, it was one of the first films to go to streaming. Uh, it had two weeks in the cinemas, and then it was one of the first to actually have the streaming audience. And it was kind of like the first, first film, or one of the first films that people were paying very close attention to, because it was going to give the indicator of what the new normal would be. What was the mood around The Valiant Office when that happened? Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, yeah, so, it's funny again right around that time was right when you know hbo declared pandemic um and i was i was supposed to uh for, for those who don't know in america the pandemic first broke out in seattle and then la those are the first two places where it really like appeared um and that that week i was supposed to be at emerald city comic-con in seattle in the bloodshot premiere in la uh, needless to say, the Valiant staff that was supposed to go to both things did not. Um, so, uh, so that was, you know, I, for us, at least for me, um, my stress wasn't about, oh, how well is the film going to do? Cause like, for me, I was just like, that's not the important thing. The important thing is yeah. that people are not sick, um, and are taking precautions and doing the right thing. 
Um, and then, you know, obviously people were freaking out about it because this was supposed to be our big splash. This was, you know, supposed to, um, kind of kick things off cinematically. And, um, and now it's all getting for lack of a better word shot to pieces. And, um, yeah, I mean, opening opening weekend wasn't we we were the biggest opening weekend. Of <laughs> yeah, good point. We were um, not not that there was much competition because everyone pulled out, but um, we were. And and then when it went straight to streaming, I mean, we were the highest streaming film for a couple weeks. Like it was doing really really well. Um, so you know, there's there's a lot of all things you know all things considered. Um, I think it went as and well. Then, and then, and then, Trolls Two came along and cut your legs. I know. Um, but no, all things considered, I think it went really, really well. And you know, they just announced Bloodshot Two. Um, so, um, you know, yeah, uh, I, mean, I, I was going to go into that because, uh, I mean, I mean, we've been hearing word about the the Bloodshot sequel, and I, I can imagine we can't talk too much about that other than that there's. The it's conversation about is happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was really curious because um, I mean Vin Diesel was quite the is quite the draw, and he no doubt um, brought people who don't usually read comics into the eventual box office. Now the eternal argument is that um, theatrical releases can then spill back into sales of comics, and Valium is a business where you can definitely tell if there's an uptick or not. Um, was that the case or not? Um, and if not. What can we do to change that dynamic, do you think? Well, it's hard because, again, that's when Diamond shut down and the pandemic happened. Um, man, yeah, okay. Yeah, good point. So it's hard to... I was going to say we'd be able to work out the math, but, yeah, you're right. It's difficult to... Because then that happens, yeah. It's it's because right when people, you know, would have been seen it in theaters or would have, you know, whatever, um, we had digital sales, and I don't... I don't really, I don't really deal with the the sales numbers um, specifically. That's huh, the sales department. Um, but, <laughs> but I do know that you know during the time that Diamond was shut down, our digital sales were doing really, really well, and, and um, we're we're picking up. Um, I can what I can say, and I don't know what causation or correlation, you know, what what bloodshot has to do with anything in this regard. But I can say, you know. Um, our sales have been really good this year in comparison with, with past years. And I know that's kind of across the board with comics right now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, thanks to the shutdown where everyone finally cleared out their backlogs and was, you know, excited to pick up new comics. Um, but like for me, my, my concern and my worry was XO number one had was, was shipped the last week that comics were shipped to force. Um, and, you know, EXO number two is coming out November 25th. So that's a... We'll get into that because I've got graphics and everything. It's a massive... (laughs) (laughs) It is a massive, massive gap. And yet, EXO number two is one of our highest selling number twos. I think it's the highest selling number two that Valiant has had in several years. So um, that's great. Yeah. Well, there's nothing like building anticipation for something, is there? Yeah. Like, 
it's it's funny too because like i've you know in in marketing number two like i've done all these interviews and everyone asks like oh because of the pandemic did you have time to go back and or did you go back and like rework anything and we're, and we're just like no it was ready to go to print like it's 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 been done <laughs> so yeah um yeah, I mean, you know, every, everyone has had this conversation, like, how do we correlate movie ticket sales to comic books, right? And um, I don't know. <laughs> I wish I knew the answer. You know, there's been a lot of conversations. If, let's put this. If, if you knew, I think. Yeah. I I, 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 yeah. Myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah. What's it been? Because, I mean, you were talking about the, the, the way that the industry has had quite the year uh, with people that have either been at home they've been dying for content they've been wanting to have something to embrace and to to move forward um but we i've also mentioned about the, the numbers that kickstarter has done uh, for creators and the kickstarter has been an incredible platform crowdfunding in general but what's it been like for valiant then when uh, say for example creators coming to you because uh, obviously, like you say, Diamond shut down, various uh, companies shut the doors and just went into pause mode. Did you have a number of creators coming to Valiant yeah, looking for alternative avenues to work for work over the summer? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, um, I would have creators like email like, oh, let's do a book. And I mean, nothing. <laughs> it happens all the time, right? Like that, that's, that's as an editor, this, this happens. People say, Hey, you have hiring power, hire me. Um, so, you know, that hasn't changed. Um, and, and it's, I feel for creators on, you know, books are getting canceled or, you know, shelves Pro projects are getting, yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, it's, I know I'm not giving them an answer that they haven't already heard. Um, you know, it's, you know, back in the summer, it was no one is publishing, so I can't do anything. Um, and now, like most other publishers, we're working through our backlog. Um, so it's, you know, yes, things are definitely moving at a much better pace than they were, you know, four, five, six months ago. Um, but uh, the, the, uh, the flip side of that that's exciting is because I think so many projects were shelved or, you know, whatever is um, more people are saying yes to things now <laughs> because they have availability. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, you know, the, the, I'm of two minds up, right? It's the, like, it's unfortunate that, you know, so many things have been canceled or shelved, but also gay for me, I, I can work with some people that I want to work with. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I mean, you can't speak for anyone at DC Comics, now, nor would I want you to. And all the latest news is still very, very fresh. But I'm really curious what your take on the mainstream, mainstream comics landscape is at large. Um, is it in a hell? I mean, we, we talked about sales, and the sales have been showing that there's uh, an audience out there, and the books are being sold. Is comics in a healthy place or is there still areas that are at risk considering that we are seeing people being laid off? Is that literally just a DC Comics AT&T thing or is it more across the board? I mean, it's, there's no easy black answer to that. Um, 
you know, uh, for me personally, and, and this is, I mean, what's, what's happened over at DC the last couple of months in, in AT&T and Warner Brothers is, is awful. It truly, truly, sure. truly awful. And Disney, I mean, Disney's laid off so many people too in, in comics and, and across, you know, all their subsidiaries. But, um, you know, for me personally, uh, again, time is fluid and, and, and what happened yesterday might as well have been last decade, but, um, last year, uh, AT&T had brought in a new like head, like president or whatever. Um, and I did a little research on this person back then and at their previous corporation they were at, they kind of did the same thing that they're doing to Warner Brothers now where they came in and they, you know, consolidated it and gutted and exactly, which it's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's I was waiting for you to, I was waiting for you to just use the word consolidated because that's the, that's the polite way of just doing what they've done. No. And that, and that is what it is. It's awful. It's terrible. Um, it's, it's not new. Um, and any corporation, yeah not new in comics um and uh so when when they came on you know honestly a lot of the comics talk at the time in, in my circles was when when is that going to happen um you know is and when are they going to do it to gc you know are they going to do it before san diego after san diego before new york after new york like when when is that when's the best press time to do a bunch of layoffs answer yeah. no um, but then, you know, then the pandemic happened. And so I think, you know, it's kind of gotten woven into that. Um, so on, on one hand for me, I'm like, I'm shocked that they took this long to do it. Um, but I'm also grateful that people still had to have jobs <laughs> as long as they have. Um, it's unfortunate because I'm sure the pandemic made it easier for them to to hit the numbers that they wanted to to justify um, in the press i think yeah yeah exactly um so you know is comics in a healthy place <sighs> not as not as healthy as we would like it to be um sure. you know we're in a capitalistic society the people at the top are always going to want to squeeze 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 the juice um and then yell at the 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 fruit for not having any juice left right like that's kind of that's kind of the world we live in um and they they look at numbers first and numbers only um and that's all they care about and that affects you know the car industry as much as it affects the comics industry um and unfortunately with an industry where margins are as thin and profits are as little um as comics because fun fact a lot of people it takes a lot of people to put a comic book to print um they're not cheap to make um you know it's it's everyone is overworked and underpaid and when consolidations happen um that overworked and underpaid becomes even greater so okay Shall we talk a little bit more positive then? Let's talk about books that are coming. Let's talk about books coming forward because we are going to get into um, some, like you say, we've talked about um, uh, certainly one book uh, that we're going to get into in a second. Very quickly, uh, we'll cover a, a couple of questions that have come in or a couple of comments. Like I say, I did put it up on the screen, but just in case you uh, didn't see it, Bloodshot was the last movie I saw in the theatres. I was supposed to be at uh, Emerald City also when the pandemic broke out. This is Dan Berry. Mine was um, Birds of Prey which feels well, like a goddamn eternity ago, which is I'm, just... 
I went and saw Invisible Man. That was the last one. I think it was Bloodshot, it was Trolls 2, and it was Invisible Man. Those yeah. were the three that... Wow. I will wow. say, last week before everything shut down, though, I went to two hockey games. I went out and got that awesome milkshake. Um, I went to a movie, and I adopted a puppy. So it was a pretty good last week. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that's a week. And then, <laughs> boom, yeah. Uh, Solicitor Smeg, I haven't seen a movie in theatres for like a year and a half, and I'm jonesing for uh, jonesing for uh, popcorn with uh, God knows what on. Uh, they pass on as butter. <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. I get that. Uh, and um, Solicitor Smeg, Gordon Ramsay's Burger Place in Vegas has some crazy shapes. I see. Well, there we go. Those ones are crazy. Also, Junior's Cheesecake has some very crazy milkshakes too. Um, Here in the UK... I don't know anywhere that actually does decent milkshake. I mean, well, I, 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 I said this when I, I came over to San Diego because I've only been to California. Um, and the one thing is like when we have here in the UK, we don't have proper burger joints. And then you go to like In N Out and you go to Carl's Jr. and you go to all the other burger places in the States and you just go, oh God, they, they're doing this right. And we just don't know what the hell we're doing. It's, we don't know what we're doing. When every time I take someone new or I'm with someone in like the UK or Ireland who's never been, you know, there before, I, I was like, I want to take you to their version of a diner, of an American diner. Because it's just, it's so cute to me. It's so funny. Yeah, um, we, we, we don't really know what we're doing. You try your best though. Um, but yeah, no, to, to be fair, when it comes to milkshakes, I mean... At least in my experience, the UK isn't really known for their desserts. Uh <laughs> we do Yorkshire puddings. We do we do yeah. roasts well, but yeah. that's you a whole other board. You're yeah. great. You're great at what you're great at. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Very diplomatic of you. Well done. Um, okay, so let's talk about the books. Um, you've mentioned three when we've been kind of like setting this up, and um, that certainly the ones that uh, have uh, got my attention. We'll start with Savage because, uh, I mean, I'm a massive uh, Triona Farrell fan. Uh, and what I've seen on the pages of what she's done here is just astonishing. Max Bemis on writing, Nate Stockman on art, uh, Triona on uh, uh, colours, and Hassan Hosman Halal. I always trip up over that name, but I got there eventually on the letters. Um, this is Savage. Um, tell us all about it because this just looks astonishing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This, this book, it's every single one of these books. I'm just going to get this out of the way. Like I've been sitting on them for God, a year and a half, two years, some of them at this point because pandemic. Um, so I'm like, Ooh. I just, I just want them out there and for people to enjoy them the way I've been enjoying them. Um, but yeah, a little background on Savage for those who don't know, Kevin Savage, um, was born in an alternate dimension called the far away where there are dinosaurs and magic and crazy things are happening. So he was born and raised there um, and kind of a dinosaur hunter kind of dude. And all of a sudden he passed through a blip that landed him in Piccadilly Circus in London. And all of a sudden uh, this kid who's been missing, who's a kid of a famous footballer and model, I think his mom was a model, um, just shows up and all of a sudden becomes like an overnight sensation superstar. 
Um, he finds parkouring on buildings fun and he's savage. He's, he's rural. He's, you know, uh, grotesque in the only way that is deemed cool on the internet now, <laughs> right? He's a spectacle. Um, and, uh, he hates it. He misses it. He wants his old life back. Um, and spoiler alert, um, some, uh, people creep in who say we can give you your old life back. Of course. Um, but it comes at a cost. And uh, so that's what the story is about, is Savage trying to find his place um, in the, a not-so-savage land. <laughs> <laughs> it looks amazing. Um, like I say, I'm, I, I hadn't really... I, I knew the basics of the storyline, but I didn't realize it was based in the UK. All right, yeah. okay. Kill yeah. me, kill yeah. me. Nate, um, when I when I hired Nate, he was like, "Oh, I'm actually going to be in London next week, so I'm going to go and like snap a bunch of reference photos." Um, so that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and then we were talking about uh, Exo Man of War, like I say, uh, issue two. Um, now, oh, very very quickly, let's talk about dates as well, because uh, Savage is due uh, February twenty one. Mm -hmm. yep. so we still thought we we're talking a couple of months away. This one, however. What two weeks, something like that? Two weeks, something. I think November twenty fifth. The yeah, yeah, the Wednesday right before Thanksgiving for all you Americans, um, and the Wednesday right before the last Thursday for everyone who's not American. <laughs> um, yeah, yes, that'll be, that'll be the weekend. I'm struggling to get guests. I can't think why. Uh <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, EXO EXO Man of War number two, the continuation of EXO Man of War number one that came out. <laughs> months ago um don't worry uh exo number one is back in stores too we we put it back out there um so if you missed it the first time you can uh grab it the second time and i mean if you're gonna judge a book by a cover judge a book by christian ward covers right like they're yeah. they're stunning he's so 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 goddamn talented it makes me angry um, i've been trying to get him on and he wants to come on the show but he well, number one, he's got a kid, uh, yeah. and number two, he's also uh, insanely busy because yeah. you don't have talent like he has, and it doesn't just sit in a shelf. Uh, yeah. Because the the guy is just yeah, he's incredibly busy at the moment, and yeah, it's a hell of a cover. And again, let's just go full screen with this so people can see it. That's amazing. Just, That's actually uh, the very first image that that he did um, for for the book. This I, literally a week or two after I was hired, um, they they uh, they were like, "Matt Kent's run is coming to an end. We want to do a teaser for a new series." It was before I was even editor on the EXO series. Um, you know, my boss Robert Myers at the time came to me and he was like, "Who would do a really good modern EXO image?" Um, like, and I was like, "Oh, Christian Ward." Um, he's like, great. Can you get him? And I was like, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and obviously we did. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, so that's, that's actually the very first, um, piece of art I commissioned at Valiant, uh, right there. Nice. Is this but that's not taking anything away from what Emilio Alessio is doing on internals. Cause, um, it's stunning. Whoa. Yeah, it's, it is. Wow. It is modern superhero action and its finest. Ruth's colors are so, like, I don't understand how you get colors so vivid and bright the way that she is able to. 
um you know like there it, it's just fully saturated but not overwhelming she's so so good at it um and emilio too the action literally jumps off the page um it's it's so much fun uh for those who are new to exo and don't know anything about him exo is a combination of eric eric of dacia a fifth century Visigoth warrior um who's abducted by aliens and uh shot centuries into the future um, where he was paired up with Shanhara, an alien, um, a sentient alien that has been transformed into this battle armor. Um, so almost like a sword in the stone, only he who is worthy can wear the armor. And together, Shanhara and Arik make Exo Man of War. Um, and a lot of Exo's past stories have, we've been seeing him, um, you know, defending uh, colonies and space and aliens and you know even even his earth adventures have been in the atmosphere protecting the earth from from you know vine aliens coming to attack so this series is really his first time we're getting to see him grounded on earth and see you know not only how the world feels about him but how he feels about the modern world <laughs> um yeah, it sounds like it's it's a little bit like Conan um, for for Sir Lister of Smeg. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a little bit like Conan, um, but uh, it's it's like what what I like to say, it's like Thor if Mjolnir could talk to him um, <laughs> and had a mind of its own. So that's that's kind of what I. That's a, nice, that's, a, that's a good description of that. That's cool. Um, and last but not least, and unfortunately I don't have any artwork for this, uh, which I haven't been able to put up on screen, but um, considering that we are talking April uh, when this is due, uh, which is Shadow Man, uh, next uh, uh, book uh, from uh, Valiant uh, for this character. Tell us more about uh, what uh, you've got planned for this. Oh, man, if there was any book you should have art for on the screen, it's Shadow Man. Uh, Listen, I look. I'll tell you all about <laughs> it. Um, I'll tell you all about You know what? It's funny, actually, now that I'm thinking, all three of these books have people from the UK working on it. What a great. <laughs> uh, oh, trust me. We, I, had, I had the guys from Vault on, uh, so I had the Wassels on, on yeah. Sunday, and I just turned around and said, so what's with all the Brits, man? <laughs> uh, what's with all the Brits that you're hiring? Um, but, yeah, you're definitely representing uh, as well uh, on this book. Yeah, so uh, Shadow Man by Colin Bunn, John Davis Hunt, Jordi Belair, Clayton Coles. Um, Shadow Man, probably, and I love all my my children, but unfortunately I do not love them all equally because Shadow Man is the book I've been dying to do probably my entire career. Um, I'm a huge, 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 huge horror fan. Um, and whenever I was at Marvel, like Colin and I together, because obviously Colin is master of horror especially in oh, comics. Yes. no one does horror like colin bunn and he and i like we want to do a horror book we want to do a horror book we want to do a horror book and marvel really doesn't do horror they at least not the way that it should be done um and so the second i got to valiant i was like who's on shadow man i call dibs it's gonna be horror and it's going to be straight horror because that character had never been done he's a character who can jump back and forth from the dead side, the, the demonic plane of the voodoo culture, essentially, and and, and it is the Shadow Loa, and it's never been done as a horror book, ever. It has never been done as a straight up horror book. And that is just like, that's like the easiest, you know, 
it's, it's also it's it's also another quiver to Valiant's sort of like bow that uh, yeah. you can really dive into that kind of genre. Yeah. Um, so it was just like kind of mind blowing to me that that it had never been done. But hey, great, I'm gonna do it. Um, so what we do, what we see is we see uh, Shadow Man. Now the dead side is breaking through the earth. You know, the the veil that is protecting the earth from this demonic plane is cracking, um, and it's not just cracking in Louisiana um, where he normally calls home, but now it's cracking in London and it's cracking in Africa and it's cracking in Arizona. And so we see him kind of each chapter is him exploring a different one of these thin places, um, as it tries to break through and, and obviously without spoiling, it builds to something that's, you know, big and exciting and comic booky grandeur. Uh, but it's like, you know, come, come for John Davis's heart alone like his right. art is just no one does what he does in comics um okay this is where i now have to drop some names because um i have a john davis hunt original hanging beside my bed it's next to my uh a scotty young sketch as well that man um i am a huge john davis hunt fan i mean when you're talking about him uh doing horror um, if you're watching this, if you've not read Clean Room, you're That's what got him hired. you are you are yeah. a fecking idiot. You need to go and check that book out. Um, what he did with um, uh, Wildstorm was mind blowing. The guy is just an incredible talent, um, and f hearing that he's on this book, um, yeah, I'm a happy bunny because uh, he is something very special. What I love about him is his art style is so clean and open lined that it makes you feel safe. You know, it makes you feel like normal and everything's fine. And then when he goes and he's also one of those artists that draws like every single window window and every single like brick. Um, literally, when he was designing Baron Samby's new costume and that's all this like um, gold filigree and buttons and stuff like I wrote him and I was like, are you going to be cool drawing? <laughs> <laughs> love it but i have to ask right for your sanity are you going to be comfortable with this and he goes i mean you can remind me of this email and come issue four when i'm like you know complaining about it i'm like all right but but truly like he's you know he makes you feel so safe and comfortable and then when he goes grotesque and horror and like again every single drop of blood right every single tooth every single you know like tentacle um it's it's super super creepy and great and um, he just turned in the most stomach churning page of probably the whole series. Um, and I told him like, I couldn't look at it because it just like, oh. it so uncomfortable. Um, so, you know, that's great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I, I am just so thrilled to be working with truly some of the best at horror in the business. Um, and, and I'm very, very fortunate that Valiant is letting me go as, as crazy dark with the series as we are. And also, um, if you haven't seen it yet, we also have an amazing cover by the one and only Tony Moore. Uh, okay, I, let me just, let me see if I can find this really, this really quickly. There we go. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
that's something very special. It's so it's so good. Um, yeah, when Tony said he would he would do it for me, I was I was just over over the moon um, because as again Tony Moore a staple in the horror uh, comics. So yeah, it's it's get ready, buckle buckle your seats and hold on to those butts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I mean, the uh, amazing looking books. I mean, the solicitors make looks like me without a good night's sleep. Um, okay. <laughs> There's a mental image I don't think I needed, but thank you very much indeed for that. Um, so that's Exo Man of War, November 25th. You've got Savage announced for February 21, and then Shadow Man for April 21. Um, any other books that we can very quickly talk about um, around yeah. that kind of ballpark? I mean, they're not they're not my books. I'm not editor on them, but I love them. They're great. Obviously, we have new issues of Rye coming out by Dan Abnett and uh, Juan Horet, uh, Bloodshot series by Tim Seeley, uh, Brad Booth, Mark Lamy, and a whole slew of different artists that have uh, tackled Bloodshot. So those are coming out, um, and you can pick those up now. Um, and then we just also announced for next summer the new Ninjak series by Jeff Parker and Javier Polito, which is just, I mean, Javier is beyond. He's he's insane. Um, and this book is gorgeous. Um, and then also for next summer, we have uh, The Harbinger by Jackson Lanzig and Colin Kelly uh, with Robbie Rodriguez coming out um, just in time for the Harbinger film by Paramount. So, um, you know, it's, yes, we're all- Every, everything's, everything's coming up valiant. Yeah, yes, yes, these were all supposed to be 2020, but hey, it's making for a great 2021. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I'm going to finish on one last question, which I know this might come out a little bit of left field, but um, at least we'll uh, kind of get it done. This is uh, to wrap things up. Daniel Betts, uh, sorry I was a bit late to this uh, watching, but uh, he, he said hi earlier. Uh, if the question's already been asked, it hasn't. So here we go. What is your favorite comic graphic novel to reread? Always like to know what people enjoy. Uh, it's a good question because it's something that we've been uh, 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 asking uh, over the course of the summer, which is, um, is it a case of comfort food or just embracing everything new that you can find? Or is there, have you been watching Friends on repeat like a lot of people have? I've been oh. watching The West Wing. That's what, okay. that's what I've been doing. I've just been okay. binging West Wing again. Uh, I, well, I actually watch through Friends probably once a year. Um, it's it definitely is my comfort zone, but uh, no, I've been I've been I've been watching uh, Dave Letterman's Netflix show. That's been my fun thing right now. Uh, it's very good. Um, no, uh, so I, I have two. Um, one is an issue that I read all the time, and uh, I don't know if it's comfort or if I'm just sick and twisted. Y'all decide. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's I think it's issue. Six of Sandman. It's a twenty-four hour diner issue. Oh man, yes, that's because I've been rereading um, a lot of the books that came out of uh, like the uh, the Warrior, uh, mm -hmm. the, the Fleetway book. So I, I kind of did Miracle Man. I did uh, V for Vendetta, and I did um, uh, Sandman again. And yeah, uh, especially off the back of the uh, the audible drama. Yeah. Um, so which they weren't able to translate twenty-four hours. Um, because <laughs> nothing, to, nothing you, matches what is on that page. No, you you need to vi the visuals for that, and that that issue, truly, if I'm being honest, like that that issue, I think is what inspired me to create comics and work in comics, because it really like, um, showed one just how a standalone issue can be so strong and and capture such vis uh, visceral emotion. 
Um, and if you haven't read it, it's it's horrifying. It's one of the most horrifying issues. Well, in I mean, comics. You know, the thing about it as well is it's pure anticipation because you're waiting for Dream to show up. You're yeah. waiting for Dream to get there, and this is what he's doing to fill his time. And what he's doing to fill his time is horrific. It's horrific. Uh, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. But, so so not only is it a it's a fantastic standalone, um, but it's also <laughs> I am, uh, but it's but it's also uh, it shows too how you can through a series through progression build um, relationships between the characters and it's it, Neil does such a good job of like um the reader knows something the characters don't know yeah. right and and the reader knows how all of these characters are connected but the characters themselves have no clue whatsoever which makes it all the more horrifying and twisted but it's it's so from a pure um intellectual level um you know take the horror out of it it's it's very very well crafted it's it's insanely well crafted um so i'm I'm trying to remember which one of the issues. I think it was that issue because it's well documented that Neil wasn't entirely sure about how to do sequential, an ongoing story at that point, and he was kind of learning on the job. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was basically they turned around and said, no, that was the issue when he was landing he got, every note, yeah. every page turn, every note. Yeah, uh, something very special. Great, great choice. Excellent stuff. Yeah. Uh, Solistrous Meg, I reread the Damachi light novels all the time and rewatched the anime that's based on two. And uh, you've also got Danny Ward, who's joined us a little bit late into the conversation. Rewatch this episode. I, I've, it's been a great conversation, but saying the new Harbinger, Harbinger comic is going to rule. Yeah, Danny, yes. Danny uh, is in my sales department at Valiant. She's fantastic. Oh, there you go then. Stuff. <laughs> she knows. She's read it. She's read the new Harbinger. <laughs> she knows. She knows. Brilliant. Um, I'm looking forward to the books. Like I say, as a John Davis Hunt fan, I'm very much looking forward to the Shadow Man. But um, no, all three sound uh, incredible. And uh, yeah, what Valiant have planned for the end of this year, moving into next, uh, is something very special. Uh, Heather, if you could tell us where people can find out, certainly the best place to keep a track on what Valiant are up to. Um, it, uh, where's the best place on social media, online, for them to head to? Oh, Valiant Comics at Twitter um, is the best. It's at Valiant Comics on Twitter. Um, you can sign up for our newsletter, Valiant Voice. It comes out every Wednesday and gives you all the latest uh, goings-ons. Um, Free, you know, free digital downloads sometimes, or you know, the the virtual portfolio reviews that I do. Um, so definitely check that out. Um, and then where folks can find me, you can find me at, at Heather Antos on Twitter, um, and send me penguin pictures. <laughs> well, yes, uh, I mean certainly you're because it, it's Heather Antos on um, uh, Instagram as well, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Uh, because uh, that's certainly the place to go for, for penguin pictures uh, yeah, and penguin updates. Definitely uh, head to, to Heather on uh, Instagram. But there's the address on screen. Go uh, check out that account. Heather, um, I, I mean, we didn't determine at the beginning of this how long we were going to go on for. It's been a great conversation. I really hope you've enjoyed your time with us. It's been great. To, it's been great to have you back. It's no, anytime. Any it's, it's always, always a pleasure. And next time I'll have tea. Uh, fair enough. I'm done with that, and uh, I'll I'll um, find a milkshake from somewhere. I don't know. Uh, I love it. Uh, well, I mean, like I say, I mean, we can only hope that um, sooner or later that we can kind of like 
get ourselves back across uh, the pond and um, hopefully we'll find ourselves at a convention at some point in the, in the future. And um, yeah, looking forward to uh, catching up with you in person. Perfect. Heather, it's been a pleasure. Take care and enjoy the rest of your day. Bye. Take care. Thank you. Brilliant stuff. Um, do go check out um, uh, what uh, Valiant have got planned. Uh, some amazing books which they've uh, showcased there. Uh, and like I say, we've got uh, Exo Man of War. Uh, you've got uh, Savage as well. And uh, that Shadow Man book, which just <laughs> looks incredible. But there we go. Right, that's our show for today. Thank you so much indeed. Once again, this has been one of our incidental episodes. It's a drop-in show uh, when we aren't able to get a guest on either our Sunday or a Wednesday show, uh, just so we can kind of move around uh, their particular uh, diary. Heather was able to join us today, and thank you very much indeed to her for doing that. Quick update on the rest of the, uh, the shows coming up, because my word, have we got some guests for you. This Sunday, of course, Scotty Young. It's the it's the episode I'm actually most nervous about because I am a huge Scotty Young fan, as I'm sure anyone who knows and follows me uh, is more than aware because <laughs> I have uh, piles of his books. I have statues of his stuff around. I am a Scotty Young fanatic. When I talk at the beginning of a show about those uh, interviews and those people that you meet that make me go a little bit mealy-mouthed, this may be the one. You may be seeing a bit of that on Sunday. Next Wednesday, um, as part of our lockdown episodes, we're talking to Kevin Scott. Um, he has got some great books on the way, but we're also going to be talking about his uh, work on Star Wars, going to be talking about his um, other books that he's been doing throughout the course of the summer. He's been in an incredibly busy chap, so looking talking uh, to him next Wednesday. On Sunday, Saturday, 21st of November, another one of our incidental episodes, Al Ewing is going to be joining us. He's had a busy year, of course, with uh, Empire uh, from uh, Marvel. Uh, but also, um, uh, they, they are, we only find them when they're dead. Uh, Immortal Hulk, the man is just been on fire in 2020. Um, looking forward to talking to him. We're then going to be talking to uh, Mike Ciccini, uh, who I'm first. I'm going to make sure I know how to pronounce his surname, uh, but I've also put it on there on the screen so you know who he is. He's the editor in chief of Den of Geek, so you know the site, you know what he does. But uh, I think he's going to be a good person to speak to. By then, I think we'll definitely know about um, the uh, the new or still dates for Wonder Woman 1984 and Black Widow. We found out today about the um, WandaVision date, which is going to be three days before my birthday on the 15th of January next year. That's when it's coming to Disney+. Plus. Slowly but surely, things are moving out of 2020. Does that still occur for the last two tentpole movies, which are Wonder Woman 84, and um, uh, uh, Black Widow. End of the day, how is this concertining? How is this moving of content into next year going to make life even harder for studios to get that audience uh, when there's so much content fighting for uh, our eyeballs? Mike's going to have a bit of um, uh, an idea on that. I'm going to talk to him. Yet to get our desk confirmed for 25th of November, but we're working on a couple of names. Night, the White Noise Studios boys will be joining us on Sunday, the 29th, uh, the, uh, the last show of uh, November. Alex Pagnadel, Ram V, Dan Waters, and Ryan O'Sullivan talking about their books. And then we've got ourselves uh, Wednesday, 2nd of December. Yet to defer, determine a date, uh, a guest, sorry, for that date. But I think we've got a couple of uh, big surprises for you for those to be confirmed uh, episodes. They're on the way. And that's us. Thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, today. Um, once again, back again on Sunday for our show. 
hopefully you can join us for that. Thank you to everybody who's jumped in and uh, contributed to questions. Hope you've enjoyed our chat with uh, Heather. I I really enjoyed that because she's uh, always a, a pleasure. She's also very forthright uh, about um, her feelings on things. She, I, I kind of sprung some topics on her there, and she kind of, she took them with uh, good aplomb. Excellent stuff. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your evening. And from myself to you, keep talking con and uh, stay safe. Um, wear your masks and um, let's see you safe and well on the other side this Sunday with uh, Scotty Young, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. GMT on Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. From me to you, we'll see you soon. Bye. Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego is a production of the Convention Collective. Visit the Convention Collective for all of your convention news and updates. And support the podcast at patreon.com Englishman SDCC.